welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin here this week with Kumail Nanjiani. Hey, thanks for having me. Kumail is a stand-up comedian. You may have seen him on Conan or on Letterman. Kumail is on Franklin and Bash on TNT, which just got picked up for a second year. So Kumail's very busy, but perhaps most relevant to today's conversation, he has recently started a podcast called The Indoor Kids which is all about video games. And that's what we're here to talk about today, video games. We, we, just, uh, we just did an episode a few weeks ago that was kind of like our summer movie review where we talked about all the big action movies that had come out this summer. Because summer's kind of when, you know, the movie studios bring out their big guns. But the fall and that season leading up to Christmas is the summer of video games. Fall is the summer of video games because they want to put out all their big titles right before Christmas so everyone can tell their parents to buy them things. So all the big video games are coming out over the next few months, and there's almost too many to play. So I want to find out from Kumail what he's most excited about, and I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, Kumail. So uh, if I could guess for a second, it's, if I could speculate with the game you're most excited about this Christmas, is it not... Gears of War 3. That's correct. That is correct. I wasn't even worried that you wouldn't be able to get yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it was so, I heard, I could hear the relief in your silence. Because uh, you guys talk about Gears of War uh, 1 and 2. As far as I can tell, you're still actively playing Gears of War 2. Yeah, we play Horde mode all the time. Honestly, Horde mode is so much fun because the problem with playing online can be, you know, you have kids who are throwing around swear words and questioning your sexuality and it just gets old, so the best thing, a horde mode is awesome because it's five of your friends, people you know, and you're just fighting waves and waves of, like, bad guys. And I think Gears of War, I'm sure there's some precedent, but if it existed before Gears of War repopularized that. After Gears of War 2 introduced horde mode, every major first-person shooter had some variation on it. Halo did it. Uh, Nazi zombies in Call of Duty is basically that format. Yeah, I don't know what game before Gears of War 2 did it. I'm not familiar with it. but I, I don't War know if it did. I, it, may, it seems like it might have, but Gears of War certainly put it up, that mode on the map and made it kind of a requirement. Yeah, and now Halo has Firefight, which is basically the same, and Call of Duty has the zombie thing, as you talked about. It's just really fun, and there's a lot of strategy involved, and it's very satisfying when you beat it. I get kind of stressed out when the format of the game, and you find this with tower defense games too, you know, when there's just tons of little monsters attacking, you have to set up uh, little towers and just try to last as long as you can. I get very stressed out knowing that I'm going to eventually lose. That th When you play Call of Duty zombie mode, there's no way to win. It's just a matter of how long can you last before the zombies overrun everything, and I find that very stressful. That's very. That's like an exercise in futility. But in in Gears and Halo, you can beat it. You can beat all the waves. You can do well. well it just keeps going and getting harder and harder, doesn't it? You can't. It's not just like game over. They'll just keep adding more monsters. No. No. At with Gears, once you get to wave fifty, that's that that that, that wave is done. Did that um that map is done. Same in Halo. Uh, Halo. If you beat a certain number of waves, it's done, and it says you beat this map. I guess I revealed just now how bad I am at video games well, and Gears of War specifically. It's very, very difficult. It takes, us, it takes us a week of playing to get through a specific map. So what are you most looking forward to about Gears of War 3? What are they adding to the game that you are excited about? Well, the Horde mode, what they're adding it uh, is called Horde 2.0. And basically now you can buy everybody, you know, when you kill the bad guys, you get credits and you can use those credits to upgrade your weapons or get 
get new like turret guns up and traps and things like that. So that seems really exciting. Um, there's Which is also very tower defensey. Very tower defensey. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it looks really cool, and I played it at E3, and it the game felt good. Another cool thing they did is that uh, you know humanity, <laughs> story wise, humanity's sort of losing, and they've been you know fighting this war for many years, so they're out of resources. So they had to go and bring back older defunct weapons. So a lot of the weapons in the new Gears of War are actually worse and weaker than the other weapons because they just had to like bring, you know, raid the closet and bring out stuff that they hadn't used in like 20 years. Do you play the single player and the multiplayer, just the whole package? Yeah, I do. Um, well, there's Horde mode. Oh, there's another one called Beast mode. That's, I think, Horde mode, but for bad guys, so you get to play the bad guys. Yeah, I think um, it's the first time in Gears of War where you'll really be able to play as... I mean, you can play as... What are they called, the bad guys in that game? What are, the grunts? Lo- the locust, the locust, of course. But I, I don't know. Like, Left 4 Dead has that option, too, where you can play as the zombies, and it, it's so overwhelming. I'm already so, having so much trouble playing, you know, the quote-unquote the normal mode that, at least with Left 4 Dead, I never really got into playing as the zombies, too, because there's all these new mechanics to learn. Yeah, you know what? I love the Left 4 Dead games. I never once tried to play as the zombies. Um, I love Gears of War. Honestly, I have a problem playing the bad guys. Like, I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to be killing things that look like that look human. You know, which is also a problem I have with Call of Duty. But uh, I like being. I like being the good guys. Maybe they could just do something like Rise of the Planet of the Apes, where you kind of see the story from the locust perspective, and you you understand. Yeah, or they should have, like, the humans being, like, shitty to their wife or something, you know? Like, beat their kids, and then you do it. Gears of War 3 is so big, they've already sold a million copies of it. There are already a million pre-orders. Like, it's a, not even out yet, and it's already a hit. And I think it's because Gears of War... Uh, you know, I think people, a lot of people that don't play video games don't realize this, but there is such a thing as a big-budget video game, just like there's a big-budget movie. And when you play Gears of War, it just looks more expensive and it feels more polished than other video games. That's true. There are, like, blockbuster video games, like the Halo games or that or Call of Duty. Like, there are a lot of really, really cool smaller games, but these big blockbuster games... Uh, like you said, they feel like big Hollywood games. And I think the difference is you can have a big Hollywood movie and have it be really, really shitty. Um, you know, that happens every year, like the Transformer movie. Yeah, there's stuff. tons of but, them. But with a video game, I feel like the more resources you put in and the more money you put in, the game is better because ultimately all, all comes down to game mechanics. And the sharper the game mechanics are, the better the game is. You know, in a movie, the special effects could be amazing, but the movie might still suck. They haven't really improved uh, the technology for games in a long time. We've been playing Xbox 360 for five or six years now. I think this is the point in the cycle where we probably see, usually, uh, the next upgrade of the system with more power. But the fact is, making a game like Gears of War is so expensive that very, very few companies can afford to take advantage of the technology that we already have. Yeah, no, exactly. I think... You know, uh, I think whatever the next system leap is going to be, it's going to be smaller and smaller. Like, you know, the leap from Genesis to PlayStation was so massive. And then PlayStation PlayStation 2 was slightly less massive. PS2 to PS3 was even smaller. So whatever the next one is going to be, it's not going to be, I mean, it's going to be better. But, you know, these leaps are getting smaller and smaller, which is why I think it's good that they're 
waiting a uh, longer time to release the next console. Like, they're letting this cycle ride out for a while, except for Nintendo. I think the other thing that makes Gears of War stand out against even some of the other AAA titles coming out is that it's a console exclusive. Gears of War only exists on Xbox 360. And most games, 95% of games, they don't want to split the audience, so they make them for both, uh, unless it's being made by Sony or Microsoft, basically, they'll put the games on both PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. And you can still make a good-looking game doing that, but to a degree, you have to program to the lowest common denominator so that it can run on both. Whereas exclusives like Gears of War can really take advantage of all these little tricks in the console and use it to fine-tune it and make them... Uh, you know, the best-looking game that that console can possibly show. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, these exclusives, I remember back when it was Sega Genesis, I was thinking about this today, Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo, they had a lot of, their libraries were very different. There was obviously Sonic and Mario, but there were a lot of games, like, you know, Street Fighter came out on the Super Nintendo first, and um, Genesis had Mortal Kombat with blood. Right, right, that was the difference. I feel like there was. I feel like back then, they had pretty different libraries. Now with Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, except for a handful of exclusives, like you have the Gears of War games, you have Resistance, you have Uncharted, you have Halo, and you have uh, you have God of War. Yeah, those um, are the big ones. Little Big Planet, but yeah, that's it. Those both those consoles are really similar now, and it used to not be like that. Like the the decision between Super Nintendo and Genesis was was difficult, but now you can't really go wrong with any system. When people ask me, and believe they're asking me all the time, which system should I buy? Uh, And there's things like, do you want a Blu-ray player? Do you already have friends on Xbox Live? But if you put those very specific things aside, it basically comes down to, well, what do you want to play more, Gears of War or Uncharted? And that's really the only difference. That's really the only difference. It's Halo and Gears of War versus Uncharted Resistance, and God of War. That I, is that is all it comes down to. I feel like since I've played Gears of War 2, I must have played at least two dozen other games that have incorporated cover-based shooting in some way, have made a major mechanic of the game that you have to hide behind a wall and peek out and shoot people. But I, for some reason, for some intangible thing that's hard to put my finger on, I don't think anyone does it as well as Gears of War. Yeah, and you know, I, I've seen a lot of first-person games started doing it now, and the cover system just does not work as well in a first-person shooter. You can't see yourself. You don't know how well you're hidden. It just doesn't work as well. But I honestly think it's cool. Like, video games do this a lot, where one game will sort of introduce a new mechanic or, you know, a a new gameplay mode, and then everyone else steals it. And that's how... I think that's how games evolve. I don't think it's stealing. Like, you know, Halo took from Gears of War, they took the Horde mode, but Halo was the first one to have automatically regenerating health Halo was the first one to have only two weapons, and that's now the standard for all console shooters. Uh, But I think Gears of War popularized that cover-based shooting and made it something you see in every game today. And it's weird because no one does it quite as well, and it's a reason I can't put my finger on. When you play Gears of War, it just kind of works. Like, he sticks to the wall when you want him to, he pops out when you want him to, and when you play other games, it's just always, like, Grand Theft Auto 4 or Red Dead, or any of the Rockstar games. Even L.A. Noire yeah. has cover-based shooting. Yeah, I mean, I'm playing Crisis 2 right now, which is a first-person shooter. It's a really good game, but the cover system just does not work that well. I don't know how Gears of War did it, but the thing with the Rockstar games is they do so many things that they don't feel... And I love those games, but I definitely 
get the sense that they don't feel the pressure to have any one gameplay uh, aspect be perfect. The shooting isn't perfect. The driving isn't perfect. Absolutely. You know what they're the worst at at Rockstar, and they, they do this in all their games, is stealth missions. They have the worst, the uh, worst stealth missions in those games. Why do they do that? But, you know, I love those games. They're so epic and big, and, you know, story is so important to them, which is sort of a rare thing in games even today. But, yeah, the, the stealth missions are bad and no one real aspect could be a game on its own like if their driving mechanics were were a racing game you would think it was the worst racing game ever made oh another one you asked me about a single player mode i really like the single player mode their their co-op campaign last year was really good the writing is never great the dialogue isn't great but the world is really cool and they've really built up uh this world and they've really raised the stakes and i think the third one is going to have a lot of payoff i think um the single player mode is going to be really good you had uh, the guy who plays Dom on the Indoor Kids, which, That's was, right. which was great and really fun to listen to. And there is a moment where you and uh, him and everyone else in the room were talking about this big moment in Gears of War 2 where Dom finds his wife. And I have to admit, I had no <laughs> idea what the hell you guys were talking about because I've played through and beat both Gears of War games. But I, as soon as a cutscene comes up, I'm skipping it. There are very, very few games where I will sit through the cutscenes and Gears of War does not make that list. And I love the single player. I'll be playing the single player for Gears of War 3. I'm just not watching the cutscenes. So what games, like, okay, what games do you, obviously RPGs you watch the cutscenes for, right? The thing is, I rarely play RPGs. Mass Effect, I will deal with them. L.A. Noir, I will watch the cutscenes. But even you there, have- the, the, the news, yeah, you have to, that's the game. But the, even there, like, the newspaper clippings, like, I watched the first few, and then I just kind of started skipping them. The games that I really like that have great stories rarely use cutscenes to tell that story. I'm um, thinking of things here like Portal, uh, where the, it's kind of woven into the gameplay, or it's just... Uh, Bioshock. It's not a, Bioshock would be a great example. Um, I'm playing Deus Ex now, which is a game, by the way, that incorporates you know Deus Ex uh, from 2000 and 2001, or whenever the first one came out, uh, which is a classic game, and now they've just come out with another one. There's a sequel somewhere in the middle there, but no one speaks of it. I played the sequel. Oh, my God, really? It's not terrible, but apparently compared to the other, the first one, it is pretty bad. It's not a good game. Like, uh, if, it, if that was the first game, there would not have been a sequel. I'm playing Deus Ex, uh, the new one, Human Revolution, and I gotta say, I'm not crazy about it. And the internet seems to love it, people seem to love it, but I'm just not feeling it. And it's kind of the same problem as Rockstar, there's a lot of different th- things you can do, but I don't know that any of them are really fun. Like, you can choose to sneak in, or you can choose to shoot your way through, or you can choose to talk your way in. The fact that they have all of them doesn't really apply to my single playthrough, because I'm only doing one of them. And doing any one of them isn't especially fun sometimes. Oh, it's just knowing that the other options are available is what the uh, appeal is. But I've heard the graphics. I've heard it's one of the best-looking games ever made. Is that right? Uh, I'm playing it on 360, and it definitely suffers from a case of being made for everything at once. I believe the, and this is very, very rare these days, the PC version, and I have a Mac. I guess I could run boot camp, but I don't really give a shit that much. This rarely comes up. I guess the PC version is the definitive version and looks really good. The one on 360, it doesn't look any better than 100 other games you've ever seen. And the conversation, so you can have conversations and you have multiple options. And the writing in the game is excellent. It's a, it's a very well-written game, very interesting, a lot of interesting ideas. Uh, but L.A. Noir has kind of spoiled me for conversations. Because when you play L.A. Noir and you're having a conversation, you have to watch the performance 
and you really have something to chew on when you're deciding how to react. So now going back to not having that advanced facial capture technology and then just listening to someone talk and then having to pick if I should be aggressive or coy, it's almost like a guessing game now. I have nothing to go on. And you can upgrade your... uh, this augmentation thing so you can like sense their pheromones and know what they want to say but that's not particularly fun either because then the computer's just telling you what you should be telling them yeah i feel like lnoir really raised the bar on that and i think we'll see it's just you know i didn't think lnoir was perfect but it did so many new things and it did them well enough that uh, that game was really impressive and i do think that kind of facial capture stuff is gonna become more and more common like if you think of when gta 3 came out and introduced that open world in that way. So many games sort of stole that. And I think with L.A. Noir, uh, the same thing's going to happen. We talked about this briefly on another episode of the podcast. It actually was the summer movie one. So I don't want to dwell on it too much. But I think what was so impressive about the facial technology wasn't the technology unto itself, though that was very impressive, but the really impressive thing is the way they integrated it into the gameplay. It wasn't just there to show off this cool new thing they did the actual gameplay was about watching those performances and the technology made it easier and made it better to watch those performances and it made the actual game more fun, not just prettier. No, no, it was definitely involved in the gameplay and it was very active, like the way you watch the cutscenes was very active as opposed to uh, what you're talking about seems sort of a passive way of watching cutscenes, which is how it's mostly been. But I want to get back to talking about the games that are coming out this year, the stuff we're looking forward to. Gears of War, the big console exclusive on the Xbox 360 side. Over on the PS3 side, it's all about Uncharted 3. And uh, here's another unpopular opinion of mine. I don't like Uncharted 2 very much. That's, can I say something, Jeff? Yeah. I think that's crazy. Uncharted 2 was, I believe, the most well-reviewed game of the year it came out, which was two years ago now. Here's my beef with Uncharted 2. It feels like, first of all, the graphics are gorgeous. I think it still might be the best-looking game I've ever played, even two years later. Maybe God of War 3. It's an incredible-looking game. The, uh... If you, I mean, if you look at movies of it or you watch someone play it, it seems fun. But once you're actually playing it, so much of the game is running, is just kind of running around the environment you're in, looking for a ledge to climb up. And then once you're on the ledge, you move around and look for the next ledge. Then you move around and move for the next ledge. And something like uh, Prince of Persia, especially the first one, Sands of Time, uh, It had the same type of exploration, but it was a little more involved. You had to, like, really look at the room and get creative. Here, I feel like you're always just looking for that next piece of land that you can climb on. And if you're not doing that, then the other half of the game is a second-rate cover-based shooter. Okay, I I disagree with you uh, almost completely. I love that game. Uh, I think what I liked about that game was that there was never any moment where you just going A to B and killing a bunch of people. Every sequence felt like a scene from a movie to me. So there's parts where you're, you've got a Gatling gun in a car and the car is driving and you're shooting people. Or there's a part, there's an awesome scene where you're hanging on a billboard and you sort of jump back and forth between the front and the back of the billboard based on where the people are. There's one part where you're in a building as it gets hit by a missile and like comes down. So while this building is coming down, you're controlling and you're fighting. And uh, I actually thought, I was going to say that I thought the cover system in that was good, not as good as Gears. Uh, I thought the shooting was good. Again, not as good as a dedicated shooter. But overall, the experience of playing that game to me with all the different sequences and the story 
I was very involved in that game. Like the first time you see, this is a spoiler, but at the end when you start running into monsters, did you get that far? When you, you know, get to, I uh, I did, I did, I I did not beat it, and I I was going to say that I didn't see that part, but I did because they were they were like kind of snow beasts, right? It was an abominable snowman type thing. Yeah, the the first one you see is a snow beast, and then you see more slightly different kinds later. Uh that was genuinely shocking to me. I thought the story is great. I'm sort of a sucker for Indiana Jones kind of stuff, and this is basically. You know, the video game that Indiana Jones never had. Um, I think the, the acting is good. I think the dialogue is good. I think-, I think that game gets too much credit for its story. Yes, if you compare it to other video games, if you compare it to Mario or Call of Duty, it's pretty good. But it's still only as good as, say, a mediocre Nicolas Cage movie. The writing is about national treasure good, which, again, is puts it above other video games, but it's still not good. I've never seen National Treasure, so I can't speak to that. I know it's better than the newest Indiana Jones movie. I'd say that's fair, but there's something in that game where the story and the gameplay felt very different because the character is like, oh my God, I'm caught up in another adventure. What's going on here? I can't believe it. He's kind of a reluctant hero, but then once you take control of him, he's murdering hundreds and hundreds of people, and not very rarely are they snobies. Usually he's just killing people, but then when you get to the cutscene, he's like, "Uh uh-oh, I can't believe I'm involved in this. I guess I... But then when when you get control of him, so much murder but that's a shtick you know his shtick is like oh i'm not ready for this and then he's uh he's really good at his job it's like what indiana jones was you know indiana jones never had that sort of thing of like yeah let's go kill some people and let's go on an adventure he always sort of had a reluctance to him too and that was part of his charm and i think that's part of nathan drake's charm from uh, uncharted i just thought that movie felt like I mean, that game felt like a movie to me in that. I mean, the first scene when you're hanging off that train, that's how the game starts. It's so cinematic. It's so beautiful. That game definitely makes gameplay where other games would use cutscenes. There's moments in that game that would be a pre-rendered movie in any other video game. And I, to it, the game's credit, is extremely cinematic and uh, a gorgeous game. And there are parts where it feels like you're controlling a movie, but the whole thing just didn't come together for me. And maybe it's a situation, and this rarely comes up with video games for me. It's more about, you see this more, I think, with movies and TV shows, but uh, it was the game was extremely hyped. I came to it a little late. I never played Uncharted 1, and it was supposed to be the best game of the year. And then I played it, and I was like, this is it? Oh, I really, really loved it. I'm actually playing through it again right now. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine playing through it again. I swear there are some games I like. I'm like, so far, I'm just shitting on popular games. I like Gears of War. Uh, let's let's move on. Well, I got one more game that I... Uh, I got one more really popular game that I don't like to make everyone mad about me before we start talking about some things I really am excited about. So, the... The big game this year, every year, apparently, for the foreseeable future is Call of Duty... But this year, there's something of a little storyline where Call of Duty is coming out at the same time as the comparable rival franchise, Battlefield. Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 3. Is that we're getting this year? Modern Warfare 3? That's right. So Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 3, and Battlefield 3 are coming out at the same time. They're both very similar games. Uh, they have, they're war simulators, and uh, the it's for some people it's something of a of an either or the the fan bases even the devs are kind of kind of mad at each other about it do you have a do you have a dog in this fight you know i've 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 played the call of duty games every year but i those are not my favorite games i mean part of the reason is what i just mentioned i would rather 
be fighting monsters than human beings. And uh, what, what always made me uncomfortable a little bit about the Call of Duty games is this, that they are so based on fact and reality. I mean, I know they changed some things, but... You know, it, they just, it just all seems so plausible. It makes me uncomfortable. The multiplayer is really good. You know, uh, the Call of Duty games have been good the last two years. They haven't really showed an improvement. I mean, Black Ops was good. Was it that much better than Modern Warfare 2? No, it really, really wasn't. Dad, I think I put in Black Ops for 10 minutes, and I was just like, ah, I just played this game. I just played this game. And I think you're right that Modern Warfare, particularly Modern Warfare 1, which I think is really what took Call of Duty to the next level, they had that experience system and the multiplayer, that made it very addictive. But I don't know that since then they've done, you know, it's the biggest, most expensive game, uh, so they obviously all look great, they all have a ton of production value, but I don't know they've done a lot to really change the gameplay game to game. And for some people that's enough, It's, it's almost like Madden, just give me the new roster and the new levels, but uh, for me... I agree with you. I like a little bit of fiction in my games. I want some monsters or some superpowers. I don't necessarily mind killing humans, but I need some sort of fictional construct in there. Yeah, I mean, you know, like Uncharted, that's a crazy world. Weird shit's going on. I'll kill humans if crazy shit's going on. Right, like our Grand Grand Theft Auto, there's killing humans, but the whole thing's a little cartoony. It's not simulating an actual criminal. Right, the whole thing about Call of Duty is that it's real. Another thing, like when you play Halo or Gears, when you kill a bad guy, you have to shoot him like 50 times. They take some damage. In Call of Duty, really, two bullets will kill most people. and Which is just- more or less how it works in real life. I know, which is what I hate about it. <laughs> Are you into the Battlefield series at all? I gotta say, being a little bit bored with the Call of Duty franchise and never being a huge fan of Battlefield, Battlefield does look pretty interesting. Uh, the vehicle stuff add something to it it seems like there's something of uh more teamwork involved uh and if i had to pick up one of the two and there's plenty other games i'm interested in this winter but if i had to pick up one of the two i'd probably pick battlefield just because it looks a little newer modern warfare 3 doesn't look like it's doing anything new no i mean battlefield has you know the class it's a class-based sort of squad game so the strategy is different than call of duty i think you're right i mean there are so many games coming out this year Um, And the reason I would get Call of Duty is for multiplayer, and I'm going to have my Gears of War 3 for multiplayer, so I think I'm going to give it a pass this year. All right, so that's enough of things I don't care about. I want to tell you the game I'm most excited about this year, and I think, if I remember correctly, you told me you had an opportunity to play it at E3, so I want to pick your brain on it. Arkham City. Holy shit, can I not wait for Arkham City. Arkham Asylum, the last Batman game, is probably my single favorite game on this generation of consoles i loved it i think it's it's about a nine out of ten as a game it's not the best game it's a a very 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 good game it's about a nine out of ten game it's not the best game of all time but it's an 11 out of 10 on nailing batman shit they got every element of batman that i want to see in there um i think i agree and you know what that's a game that does a lot of different things it does stealth and it does uh, combat, and it does them all really, really well. Like, no gameplay aspects really feel short-changed. Like, they all feel tight. No, the, the combat system in that game is terrific. It's, uh, it's, the, it's the best combat system I've ever had in a game like that. It flows, but it's also, it, you know, there's an elegance to it. You can't just button mash. You have to pay attention. So there, it's somewhat elegant, but it's also very brutal, uh, you know, which is how Batman should be. He should be kind of... I'm, this is so nerdy, but Batman should be 
just kind of moving in between people, kind of like Bruce Lee, but it should also be brutal like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think it's kind of a mashup of those two things, and the combat system in that game nailed that so well. And I was thinking uh, before our conversation, I was thinking about Deus Ex and how I don't like this, the stealth elements of it, and I was thinking, well, what stealth games do I like? And I don't know that I've liked stealth as much in any game as much as Arkham Asylum. It's not the heaviest stealth. I understand that some people are so into it that they they want something a little uh, heavier, a little more realistic, like maybe Splinter Cell. But uh, it's just enough that it, it's kind of the fun parts about hiding and waiting. Yeah, and even the... Ch- did you ever do all the uh, challenge levels? On I did game? more of the challenge levels than I do in most video games. A lot of video games have kind of, you know, once you're done, they'll beat 100 enemies as fast as you can to kind of extend the the replay value of the game i almost never try those because by the time you're done with the game you're done but that game is a game i enjoyed so much uh that i did and i'll tell you something else something else i don't usually do i am ready to pre-order this game to get one of the pre-order bonuses what is that is that a battering well a lot of companies uh this is something of a, of a kind of a mucky practice that a lot of companies are doing they make you pre-order the game through, say, GameStop or whoever. Basically, what they'll do is, before the game is done, they'll lock off one weapon or one level, and they make you pre-order the game through GameStop to get something you probably should have gotten on the disc anyway. It's not a great practice. I think it's a really poor trend in the gaming industry. Well, the worst thing is that they'll have, like, Best Buy will have an exclusive, and GameStop will have an exclusive, so there's no way you can get everything. Right. And that's the problem with this game. They're doing it wrong, but I'm so into it, I just don't give a shit. Uh, Basically, it's just different costumes for Batman. Again, something else I would never care about in any other game. But, uh, because I like Batman so much, there are all these different specific Batman. Like, they have kind of a Neil Adams, late 70s, early 80s Batman in the gray and blue. You can do Dark Knight Batman, who's a little older. Someone has a Batman Beyond. Someone has Batman the Animated Series as a skin. And I don't know who has what. I gotta look and figure out which one I want to get the most. Uh, But... I mean, I'm buying the game anyway. I'm pretty much ready to lay down money early if it means that I get to play the game wearing a Batman Beyond costume. I don't know. Maybe that says more. But like, I I usually I'm like, we shouldn't get into these pre-orders. We shouldn't support them. If you don't pre-order, they'll stop doing it. But uh, I I, I got to be a little hypocritical on this one because I want to play it as Batman Beyond. But you know, the, the Batman Beyond outfit looks kind of weird because it's not the Batman Beyond physique. It's right. Still, so he's like a huge Batman wearing that outfit. Yeah, it's like because on Batman Beyond, which for those who don't know and really shouldn't be listening to the show if you don't know anything about Batman Beyond, uh, was a cartoon about Batman in the future. And there was a younger, sleeker, more Batman in a techno suit. And it, this is more of a reskin where they just took regular stocky Bruce Wade and just kind of grafted the costume onto it. But I don't fucking care. I want to play that game. It looks cool. The outfit looks cool. You had a chance to play it at E3, no? Uh, I played it a little bit, and it's hard to get a sense when you're playing a game, but it just looks so good. The graphics look amazing. And, uh, you know, I did some of the combat. I couldn't really get a sense of all the new things that they're doing, but they were talking about how... Uh, they've really overhauled the combat system. That there are a lot more moves now, and there's a lot more flexibility to how to approach. Because what the first thing did that was so great was that you could fight twenty bad guys and actually feel like you're fighting twenty bad guys. It's not like and you if know, you get you punched just- in the first one, it's your fault. You you know you had an opportunity to stop that. It's not like Streets of Rage or something where there's just punches flying every round, every now and then you get hit. You can theoretically play through Batman without getting hit. 
Exactly. And you know what? That that's a that's interesting that you say that because to me that is a hallmark of a good video game. You have to be able to go beginning to end without ever dying or getting hit once if you play perfectly. And there are a surprising amount of games that don't do that. And uh, but Batman is not one of those games. What would be another example of one of those? <laughs> uh, one of those games where you can go through without ever getting hit. Yeah. Um, well, obviously the two D games like Braid and Limbo and stuff. But I'm trying to think. I think you could you could do. I think you could do Gears of War without ever getting hit. Uh, yeah, you could die. do it without ever dying for sure. You might take a bullet here and there. Yeah, yeah, but you know. Uh, the other side is game. I'm thinking of games like Ninja Gaiden 2, which I love the first one so much. And then the second one, there's a lot of cheap shots, a lot of cheap hits. I'm playing this game called, uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to get to this, I'm sure, but I'm playing a game called Resistance 2 right now mm-hmm. um, on the PlayStation 3. And there are definitely parts where you die because you don't know where the bad guy's coming from and that it's designed that way. It's designed that you die so that you uh, figure out how to not die the next time. And I think that's kind of bullshit. I think you should be able to figure it out uh, the first first time through. A really good example of that is both Half-Lives, Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2. I particularly remember playing the first Half-Life, and there's those scenes where the army is coming after you, which is a cool plot twist. I don't have to put a spoiler alert, and the game's like 15 years old now. But uh, there's these army squads coming down on you, and they're coordinating with each other. And every time you die... It doesn't feel like you messed up or you're not good enough. It feels like you got outsmarted. Oh, that's great. Yeah, the Half-Life 2 games are Half-Life games are amazing. Yeah, we're obviously not breaking any new... Half-Life and Half-Life 2 are really good if you haven't heard yet. Uh, and so is, so is Arkham Asylum and Gears of War. <laughs> what made Arkham Asylum so exciting is that superhero games as a whole are terrible. And Batman, in particular, had had so many bad, bad games in his history, and you're so skeptical when everyone came out. So for them to nail it, and to nail it as hard as they did, I thought was really, really exciting. And Batman's a tough character to nail, because he doesn't have uh, superpowers. You know, there's a great Spider-Man game, Spider-Man 2, uh, which is based on the movie, uh, where it's fun because you can swing around, but it's not totally obvious how to make a great Batman game. You have to do a lot of things well. You know, you have to do stealth and detective and fighting well. And because uh, Batman, you're right, he doesn't have one strength. He's sort of good because he's good at a lot of different things. And uh, Arkham Asylum really conveys that one. My one issue with the game was uh, detective mode. The game is so beautiful, but sometimes you have to go into detective mode so that everything sort of looks different. You know, the colors look hypersaturated. Yeah, and you can it's see just, through walls and you can kind of see what weapons your enemies have and vulnerable points and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I thought that that was a little too easy, that that made the game quite easy. And also, you know, the game is gorgeous. I shouldn't have to switch to a mode where it doesn't look as good. So uh, I wonder how they're going to do that, how, how they're going to deal with that this time. You know, I, I haven't read that much about the game because I'm so excited about it that I don't want spoilers. I don't want to even know what villains I'm going to come across. But uh, I, ha- I have read a little bit. You know, I got to know something. And at some point I read something that said that... Uh, the a lot of that was something a lot of people said about the first game that detective mode was so helpful that a lot of people just ended up playing the whole game on detective mode, which is obviously not the point because it makes everything. Uh, you you explained how it works. A lot of people play the game in detective mode, which is obviously not the point, and that's something they recognized and are apparently trying to remedy in the second one. And I don't quite recall how they were doing it, but they had acknowledged that, that was a problem. They were going to fix it. The thing I'm most interested in seeing about that game is that uh, the first one was 
Actually, believe it or not, I think the comparison would be Metroid, where it wasn't, you know, Arkham Asylum, which is the setting for the game, is more or less a bunch of different pockets, and you need to get this gadget to go into that pocket, then that pocket gives you this gadget to go back and explore that area, and it's, a, it's somewhat linear. The second one apparently opens that up. The first one's called Arkham Asylum, this one's called Arkham City, and I guess you'll have the ability to, you know, fly through the city and, uh grapple around the city i'm hoping it's going to be like just cause 2 which is an awesome game if you haven't played it and uh, i think that's seems like the big shift in this one it looks amazing i mean you look at you know the graphics for arkham asylum were amazing now you take that and you make it a wide open city like a something like in a gta game or something it looks unbelievable it looks too good to be true i mean the best part for me the, the reason I'm so into Batman, and I've read comic books and I like the movies, but the reason I'm so into Batman is the animated series. And the best part of the animated series is when Batman's fallen down a building and he's got that grappling hook. That's his best gadget. So I want to see more of that in this game. And I do think that they use more of that now that they're, you know, in an open city and stuff. And I thought the, 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 the scarecrow sequences in the first one were so good. Yeah, they are pretty fun. They are a little, like... So basically what happens is there's these moments where the scarecrow, uh, he puts you in these kind of these platforming challenges where they're almost, you know, the game takes place in Arkham Asylum, which is re- based on reality anyway. You know, you're not on Oa from Green Lantern. It's, it's a real building. But then the scarecrow will put you in these weird psychedelic levels. And you don't sort of know what's real and what's not, and you get sort of paranoid. But the one part, this might be a big spoiler, there's one part where it looks like your Xbox fucks up and the game restarts. Really? And then you, I don't remember that. You don't remember that? Is that weird? It, it restarts the game and then uh, it does the opening sequence again, but the Joker and Batman are switched. So oh, the Joker, yeah. So Batman is the one who's tied up and Joker is the one who's sort of bringing him to the asylum. Uh, I thought that was kind of my... Oh, right, right. I do remember that. And the game, uh, it's fun when games kind of take that meta approach where they're going outside the game and into your real world. I can think of two other examples off the top of my head. One is Psycho Mantis in Metal Gear Solid, who yep. read your memory card. And I think to beat him, you actually had to switch the port your controller which it was in. And yeah, then, because he knew what you were doing, so you had to. He could see the future, so you had to switch your controller for it, and then he couldn't read what you were doing. Uh, and then he would read your memory card and be like, "Oh, I see you're playing Castlevania," and they recorded exactly. a few lines for the other Konami games. The other one is uh, the X Men game on Genesis. To go back a little further, which actually re- there's a level where you beat it, and it says you have to reset the system that you're on within the game, but you actually have to get up and press reset on your Genesis to get to the next level. Oh my god, I had the X-Men game, I guess I just didn't get that far. Another game is this game called uh, Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. I love, which is an amazing name for a game. That definitely sounds like a game that's going to screw with levels of reality. Oh, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And it's, uh, they do that in that, there's a sanity bar meter, and if it gets high, you start you start seeing like crazy shit, you know, like people walking around in walls and stuff. Uh, but but then if you get too insane, the game it says okay, you have to turn the game off. It's it's overheating or something, and you're actually not supposed to do that. I love the idea of a sanity meter because if a game has say a magic meter or a health meter, those are things I don't actually have. But sanity is like I know I know how sane I am while I'm playing the game. Exactly, and this game sort of preys on that. It wants to take it away. It wants to take your sanity away, Jeff. 
Uh, let's let's keep going because we got more games to go through. I think maybe so. This is an interesting one uh, for me to be excited about. I think maybe the game I'm second most excited about uh, is actually a re-release coming out for PlayStation Three. It is the Eco and Shadow of the Colossus Collection coming out on PlayStation Three. And these are two old games. They're two PlayStation Two games that are complete masterpieces. And they are being upgraded into HD. Uh, they're improving the frame rate. They're making them 3D if you're lucky enough to have a 3D television. And uh, they're coming out again on PlayStation 3 this fall. Have you played either of these? I actually haven't. Uh, this is a weird thing to admit. I went the Xbox route and started the PS2. So there are a lot of PS2 games that I never played. And those two... I played some of Shadow of the Colossus with a friend... But those are two games I'm really excited about. Um, these reissues, I think, are a great idea. They redo the graphics and everything. Oh, totally. Because the thing about a movie is that if you want to watch Citizen Kane, or you want to watch Citizen Kane, let's use Citizen Kane. If you want to watch Citizen Kane, it's still pretty much the same experience. You put in the DVD, you're still watching the movie. Uh, it's, in fact, probably a little better than it was before because it's been remastered or whatever. But uh, it's very, very difficult to go back and enjoy, uh, to enjoy and to appreciate an old video game because there's just mechanics that don't work anymore. Uh, some of the graphics, particularly in PlayStation 1, uh, are so ugly that it's... And just technically, it's difficult. I mean, most people... Uh, for instance, if you want to play Duck Hunt, you really can't play Duck Hunt on a TV that exists anymore. Not that Duck Hunt's the game that everyone has to go back and play, but there's a technology barrier of it, too. So these re-releases... Uh, really do offer an opportunity to enjoy games that you never played before. And God, Kumail, if you never played Eco, you gotta play this game. Oh, I'm so excited! I'm so excited. And what I did was I got, you know, I got the Sly Cooper collection that they redid. It came out a few months ago for the PS3, um, and that's in 3D. And I've been playing it on my 3D TV, and that's really awesome. I never played those games. Um, I played God of War One and God of War Two again because they reissued those. Uh, with redone HD graphics, and I'm excited about Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, and um, the they're redoing the first Halo game is coming out yeah. with redone graphics that I'm excited about. I want to s- try to sell people on Eco. First of all, interesting story about Eco. Uh, this is a game I lived with three other people in college. Not all of them played video games, believe it or not. But when we got Eco, when I got into Eco, and I don't remember how this started, but people would not be in the room with each other while they were playing Eco because they didn't want to see how the puzzles were solved. We would just, and this is people who never beat a video game before since refused to watch other people play it so they could experience it for themselves. It's such a great game, and it's a lot like uh, Braid and Portal, which are maybe the two best games of the last decade, in that. Uh, they, and they all have this thing in common where they have these puzzles that are difficult. You def, They're not easy, but they're very, very solvable. It's not like an old Monkey Island game where the solution is that you have to go and combine the fish with the bottle and throw it at the whale to make the whale get you something. It's nothing like that. Everything you need to know is in front of you, and if you work at it hard enough, you can solve it. And I'm, I'm reminded... Uh, one of my friends, uh, actually one of Streeter's friends, Tim, said about Inception recently, because uh, we were talking about the movie Inception, and he said, after you watch it, you just feel smarter. You're like, wow, my brain can do that? I'm good. And that's kind of the experience you get with these, uh, both Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. They both have puzzles that seem impossible, but if you work at, you really can get, just like Braid and Portal. Yeah, no, exactly. And what I loved about... um. 
Braden Portal was that thing. Like when you started one of the later levels in Braid, you would start playing and you'd be like, this, I am not going to be able to ever do this. But then it's all there. And once you figure it out, it seems very simple. And the cool thing about Portal, uh, Portal 2, is that if you play co-op, it's a totally different game. And so it's that almost doubled. So now you have two people trying to figure out this one puzzle and uh, the, the solution's always there in front of you. It's never that. It's complicated, but it's not uh, obscure. You know, you can sort of figure it out. And I've heard Eco. I've heard that game's also very emotionally affecting. Yeah, Eco has uh, the the plot of Eco is about this horned boy who's kind of a freak and he's an outcast. And this is told very minimally. It's one of the you get you don't get all the details filled in. He's just kind of been ostracized, uh, and he has to lead this princess through a castle. That's pretty much the game, and there, there are no cutscenes between them where uh, you get more of the dialogue. This is all through gameplay and leading around by the hand, and the characters both helping each other, that you this relationship between them develops. It's not done through cutscenes where they have to spell everything out. It's done through setting and tone and gameplay, and I still, you rarely, rarely see that. It's such a good game, and it's a rare game because it didn't sell very well when it came out. It's not a long game. Neither of these, both of those games, uh, they take, again, like Portal, I don't know, 10 hours to beat. The first Portal's a little shorter, uh, and Braid's a little shorter, too. It's an Xbox Live game. But they take, you know, a few hours to beat. You beat them, they're great, but then you can't, they're not particularly replayable. But what I'm excited about is that I haven't played Eco in a decade since it came out. So I've forgotten all of the solutions, and I'm really excited to go back and check that game out again and, uh, and appreciate it all anew. Yeah, and what I liked, uh, uh, you, what you were saying about the way that uh, it sort of gets you emotionally involved in the story, not through cutscenes, but through sort of tone, that's what I thought was really impressive about Braid, and that Braid doesn't even really have a linear narrative that you could actually say. Like, it's hard to say the events that happen in that game, but the end of that game is so affecting and it's kind of mind blowing. Uh, it, what they did with so little was, was really, really interesting. And then, uh, the other game, Shadow of the Colossus is just a series of boss battles, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, there's the, I mean, the, the Colossi, you have to beat the Colossi and pretty much each level is just beating the boss, but the bosses are levels unto themselves where you have to climb all over them. There's this other element of the game uh, where you have to find them, and you basically you hold your sword up to the sun, and you get a, the sun reflects where you have to go. There's this beam of light, and uh, but it goes as the crow flies. It just shows it just shows that you have to go past this mountain range, and uh, what you kind of have to do. And there's no map or anything is explore and find your own way around the mountain range, and that's something that's really fun. Uh, and you don't you know if you play Bioshock two, and I believe in Bioshock one, there is an arrow at the top of the screen that is always pointing in the direction you should go. Bioshock's a really smart game, but nothing makes you feel dumber than const- literally hanging an arrow above you constantly pointing in the right direction, which, by the way, I need. I have a terrible sense of direction, and that works within video games, too. I have a bad sense of direction in video games. Uh, but Shadow of the Colossus is a game that challenges you to... Here's some mountains. Find your way around it. Yeah, and that game, I just I saw it not too long ago again on the PS2. And visually, it still looks pretty good because it is pretty stylistic. It's not a game that's going for neither of those games. 
I eco or share the glasses. They're not going for like photorealism. They're going for more of a stylized look. And that's a look that holds up better than, you know, a game that's trying to look more realistic. Uh, I'm so excited to play those games. And their their next game looks amazing, too. Oh, Last The Last Guardian. Guardian. I mean, that's the one. If that was coming out this Christmas, that would be the one I'm most excited about. That game looks incredible. But I get the sense that Team Eco, they're very much artists with a capital A. And I mean, they've made... I think two of the best games ever. So good for them and they deserve it. But I get the sense, you know, that game's coming out when it's ready. It's not like Call of Duty where you're getting one every year no matter what. Yeah, it's like the opposite of Madden, that game is. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, supposed to come out this year, but then they pushed it to next year. But yeah, I'm kind of like, take your time, do what you need to do. I think Shadow of the Colossus, you're right that it's stylized so it holds up, but the frame rate is for shit. And that's actually the game that put me on to this uh, playing old games can be difficult. I did not play that game when it first came out. I only played it a few years ago, uh, a few years into the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3, and I went back and played this PlayStation 2 game, and it's an incredible game, but it was still very difficult to play just because... Uh, it just looked hideous. I mean, it's like watching a movie that was shot on 16 millimeter. I mean, it's, it's that much of a... Di- is 16 millimeter okay? Can you shoot on 16 millimeter? It's like shooting on two millimeters. Uh, you know? It, it, it's like... It's, it's only, the game's only a few years old, but it's like playing something from a completely different era. Yeah, I'm excited that they're redoing all these games. Um, I'm excited about the Halo reissue. And the one I'm most excited about, it was supposed to come out... Uh, in a couple of weeks, but I think it got pushed, is uh, Silent Hill 2 and Silent Hill 3. They're redoing the graphics and re-releasing them, and I think those are the two best horror games ever made, so I'm really excited about those. You know, I'm a huge fan of Zero Punctuation. Have you ever seen it? Yes, yes. I love Zero Punctuation, and he always cites Yahtzee, who does them, these incredible web videos where he does these really fast-paced reviews that managed to be both hilarious and insightful, uh, really like biting criticism of the games, really intelligent, well-thought-out criticism, while it's hilarious. And he always, always cites Silent Hill 2 as pretty much as one of his favorite games, one of the only games to really nail storytelling. And I've actually only played Silent Hill 1, so I would like to go back and play that one myself. But I think what's interesting, what's exciting about Eco and Shadow of the Colossus is that they were both, in their time, cult hits. Things like Halo or Ocarina of Time, Lots of people played those, and they should still come out for a new generation. But Eco and Shadow of the Colossus are two of the best games ever. I mean, these are really pushing the limits of what can be done in this medium, and so few people have played them because they're both just kind of obscure cult hits. So I'm, I'm really glad they're getting another opportunity to be seen. Yeah, and like I said, I never played them, so I can't wait to play those games. Uh, you got to check them out. They're, it's so, so good. Uh, another one that's coming out, and when we talked about what games we were going to talk about in this episode, uh, you suggested a few of your own. And one of them I was surprised to see on the list was Oddworld Stranger's Wrath. Oh, okay. Uh, that's another one of those cult hit games. It was on the Xbox. Um, it's I love that game. I've actually played it, and I like it a lot. But when I heard they were releasing it, I, was, I thought, all right, okay. Well, the Oddworld games were games that none of those games really did that well. Um, and then what I liked about those games was that they truly are very, very odd, and they, they create their own world, and it's a very immersive world, but it's, which is impressive because it is so weird. And I love Stranger's Wrath a lot because I think it's actually got a good story, and uh, it's got a pretty crazy twist in it that's sort of... Uh, oh, interesting. I didn't play it far enough to get to the twist. To me, it was kind of mind-blowing. The twist in it was 
it's kind of fucking crazy. Uh, what I liked about that game was that all the weapons are like basically different critters that you shoot out. That was cool. That was an interesting idea. I love uh, Oddworld. So there's, I believe, no, there's four Oddworld games. I was going to say there are three. There are four Oddworld games. Abe's Odyssey, Abe's Exodus. And then um, Munch's Munch's Odyssey or Exodus. And then Stranger's Wrath. I've played all of them uh, because Abe's Odyssey is one of my favorite games of, the all to- of all time. It actually fits very well. First of all, there's a game that really tells a story with setting and tone. It's, uh, it's crazy, but it's also very dark. It's not too crazy. Uh, and it fits into that, what we're talking about, like that braid and portal kind of action puzzle platformer subgenre where the puzzles look very difficult, but then you play through them enough uh, and or you stare at it long enough and you, it, it is solvable. And there's a lot of cool things you can do in that game. Like fart, for instance, you can make Abe fart. <laughs> Good, let's buy it. Well, and I think Stranger's Rat was different from the other games in that it was more of a straight shooter. Um, but it was third person, but you could also play it. You, you shoot in first person. But it, in a way, it was also a puzzle game in that you'd come upon sort of an area with 20 bad guys and the way you could defeat them. You had a lot of options in the way to approach like every situation. Um, I really, really loved that game. And it was kind of a bummer for me that the Oddworld, I believe that company folded. I don't know what happened because Oddworld, they were talking about making, it was going to be a quintology. They were going to make a movie. I think that's such a great universe. It's uh, it's kind of Tim Burton-y, but a little more sci-fi. And uh, I, it's such a great universe. And I, I'm always disappointed that they never made more Oddworld games. I mean, Munch's Odyssey was uh, an Xbox launch title. This was this was a huge series for a time. And there were... They, would, they did start work on another Oddworld game that then never came out. I believe after Stranger's Rat, there was another game that they were working on uh, with like a hippo. There's like a hippo in it. I have to look this up. But um, yeah, they were working on a game and then I believe they just ran out of money or something. You know, kind of the big one that's coming out that we haven't talked about it yet. Uh, I mean, first of all, we haven't talked about the Wii at all yet because the Wii is almost like a lame duck system at this point. You know, there's it, we're we're all just kind of waiting for Wii U, but come out this Christmas. There's a there's a new Zelda game, and that's always a big deal. Skyward Sword is finally coming out. Are you excited about that one? Well, I don't know why aren't people excited about it. it doesn't feel like there's a lot of excitement about that game. I feel like part of it. You're right. The Wii is a lame duck system, and it's sort of done clearly in Nintendo realizes that but i don't know for some reason i haven't really been excited about it i mean every zelda game is amazing i just honestly i don't like the wii i don't like controlling it i don't like shooting arrows by using the nunchucks i don't like that it takes me out of the game skyward sword looks like it's an awful lot of shooting things using the nunchuck and swinging the wii remote around and i think that's maybe why people are skeptical about it because that's something that nintendo's been trying for the or Nintendo and uh, other companies have been trying since the Wii came out years ago, and I don't think anyone's nailed it yet. And I guess this is kind of their last chance before they move on to Wii U. I just feel like the control on the Wii feels so gimmicky to me that it always takes me out of the game. When I'm playing, you know, in some ways the regular controllers are maybe not super intuitive, but we've sort of grown up on them. And to me, a regular controller is not a barrier to a to experiencing a video game, but the Wii controller, partially because it is uh, more evolved than the other ones, the technology is pretty impressive. I think the side effect of the technology being so impressive is that 
I'm never really immersed in the game. I'm always sort of thinking about the technology and how to make the movement the way they want me to make it, you know? That's the thing, because when you play Gears of War, you're never thinking, okay, I got to go up to this wall. Now it's time to press the A button. You just know, I got to go up to this wall, and it's so immersive and the controls are so tight that you just think it and do it. But when you're playing Skyward Sword, there's this extra... Or I haven't played Skyward Sword yet, but when you're playing most Wii games... There's this extra layer between you and the game where you're not thinking, I have to swing my sword. You're thinking Link has to swing his sword, which means I have to poke it, but the system's kind of particular, so I got to start up here. Yeah, no, I'm always way too aware of what I'm doing when I'm playing the Wii. My favorite game of the Wii is the new Super Mario World. What's it called? It's just the... New Super Mario Brothers, right? I think that game is awesome, and... uh because that's that doesn't really use the the Wiimote bullshit. No, in fact, the worst parts of the game are you have to shake the remote, which is very unnatural. And it <laughs> seems like they're moving on to something else. So this is kind of... If they don't get it here, I think we didn't work for... I mean, obviously we worked. They made a boatload of cash doing it. But the we didn't work for traditional games. It was more of a toy for Wii Sports and for Boom Blocks, which is probably the only other Wii game I can really recommend with that reservation. Uh, but those were the only games that ever really took advantage of the motion control. Uh, every other game that's great on the Wii, New Super Mario Brothers, Mario Kart, they're almost great despite the motion control. I would love Mario Kart if I didn't have to use the, the thing like a wheel, you know. Uh, it, it, I, I really don't like the Wii controls, and, you know, it, it works well for Wii Sports and stuff, but those are not deep games. I, said, I think I said this on my podcast, but I think the average Wii system has been played about 20 times. <laughs> That's very and then they never play them, you know, like uh, my, my, my in-laws have them. And uh, they played them the first week and never again, you know? And I think that's cool. I mean, I think Nintendo found a new type of person to sell video games to, and that's awesome. But I think it's just not for people like me and you and probably people that listen to any podcast, much less this one. <laughs> that's a good point. Exactly. It's for old people and very, very young kids. What else is coming out that uh, you're excited about? What were the other ones that we emailed about? The other, probably the other really premier titles coming out are uh there's assassin's creed i love the assassin's creed games i think the jump from the first one to the second one was massive the second one is one of my favorite games of all time and uh i think they've done a really good job of like keeping that storyline going and expanding the world and like some kind of crazy shit happens in it um that you would not think would happen in a game like that and uh i'm excited about that third one it looks good are they wrapping up the story in this third one is this the fourth one this is the third one. Oh no this is the fourth one you're right this is the fourth one they are wrapping up the story but they are saying that there will be more adventures with these characters of this world so basically They'll wrap up this one big story that they've been working towards and then, you know, maybe do a prequel or um, the further adventures of Etsy or something like that. They won't stop making this game. They're just too successful. That's something new that has happened in video games uh, that is, I think, kind of cool is that they're actually ending stories. I mean, obviously, something like Mario or Mega Man, it just goes on forever and ever and they just keep kidnapping the princess or whoever it is. But we said this with Gears of War, too. They were like, no. This is a trilogy. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. I have no doubt in my mind they'll make more games in the Gears of War universe, maybe prequels, maybe about some of the other soldiers that were out on the field. 
But uh, I like the idea that they're telling a story that ends. Yeah, same thing with Halo. Uh, you know, the Halo games, all the, the first three, four games sort of work as one story. Um, but almost to the detriment of that franchise, because I believe it was the end of Halo 2, which has like a crazy cliffhanger. Yeah. And it pissed off a lot of people. It basically ends with uh, the Covenant coming to Earth. Like, or they're on their way to Earth. Like the big Covenant ship finds it. I don't remember which one it was, but one of them has a crazy cliffhanger that I think pissed off a lot of people. It was Halo 2, and I also don't remember the cliffhanger, but I definitely remember the rage that followed it. Yeah, no, I was pissed off. I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? But, you know, the Halo games were... I I thought they did a good job of wrapping up that story, and um, I think Assassin's Creed would also do a good job of wrapping up the story. Oh, another game that's coming out. This was a PS... Three exclusive. It was a launch title, I believe, that was supposed to be sort of going up against Halo and Gears of War. It never got as big as those games. Was uh, the Resistance games? Yeah, you mentioned Resistance Three. I gotta be totally honest. Not only have I never played a Resistance game, I don't think I know anyone that has. Resistance. Okay, it's kind of a cool world. It, it seems like somebody in a boardroom came up with it. They were like, "What are the two games that are popular? Halo, Aliens, Call of Duty, like World War Two stuff. Let's combine them." So it's a world, it's like 19, late 1940s, early 1950s, and there's a full-scale alien invasion, like a Halo-type invasion, with huge ships and monsters, and you have sort of these really antiquated weapons. So it's a really cool world, and I'd never played them, but I started playing a, a Resistance 2 recently, and it's really good, and it feels like one of those big Hollywood AAA titles. Uh, it's really epic, the bad guys are huge, the graphics are... Gorgeous. Um, I don't know about the multiplayer, but the single player of Resistance 2 is actually really, really good. Um, I would say on par with uh, Halo, uh, really, really good, really epic. And um, I'm excited about the third one. I, what are they doing in the third one that's new? What is, what's, I honestly thought the third one was out already. What, what's new? Again, it's just it's a, they're continuing the storyline, so it's going to be end of the trilogy. I don't know what they're doing multiplayer-wise, because to me, at any time, I just need the one multiplayer game. You know, I don't need to have all of them. And that's part of the problem a lot of video games are doing. They're adding multiplayer modes to it, when really, there's really only two or three games that, are pe- that people are playing multiplayer at a time. So it's Call of Duty, Halo, Gears of War, Madden, or basketball, whatever. But that's it. They spent so much time developing them. So I don't know what multiplayer like uh, leaps they're taking, but I think this is the one where they wrap up the storyline, which is basically that you know aliens have attacked Earth, and now they're in America. It's strange because uh, all my friends are on Xbox Live. I don't. Uh, we are friends on Xbox Live. I don't know. I don't have any friends. I have zero friends on my PlayStation Three. Uh, whatever the equivalent is, PlayStation Network. So I never play PlayStation Three games online. No, me neither. I have one friend, and I've never played with him online. Um, I get the PlayStation games. I get, you know, the exclusive, obviously, like uh, Uncharted and God of War and Resistance, but I never, never play it online. I will often get the PlayStation 3 version because I have the option of both. I kind of prefer the PlayStation 3 controller. Like, I played Dead Space 2 on PlayStation 3 because it came with, uh, it came with, God, what was it called? Some sort of dead, the dead space that came out on the Wii. Oh, it came with the cartoon. 
No, no, no. There's a there's a Dead Space on the Wii that has a subtitle, Dead Space Extraction. Who can remember? And, oh, that's uh, right. That's and right. it's it's not like it. it's not like Dead Space one or two. It's it's a light gun game, which I always liked light gun games, and it's apparently quite a good light gun game with different weapons you can switch. Most light gun games are really from the arcade, and they're very simple. But this one apparently had. Uh, weapons you could switch between, and the Dead Space universe, where the only way to kill the aliens is by cutting off their limbs, is obviously perfectly suited to a game like that. So I kind of wanted to try that, and I have a PlayStation Move. It worked with PlayStation Move, so I got the PlayStation 3 version, uh, and it was great, but then I never checked out the multiplayer just because I don't have any friends on my PlayStation multiplayer list. Also, I mean, multiplayer in Dead Space, uh, I don't think it was that good. You know, it's the they talk about stickiness, like how how long they can keep a player to keep playing the game without returning it, selling it to to uh, GameStop. And they all put in multiplayer to do that. But, you know, games like Dead Space and even games like Assassin's Creed where they really spend a lot of time on the multiplayer, people don't... Those multiplayer games don't really last that long. Their big appeal is always a single player mode. Yeah, I, 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 like, I also like the Dead Space games. Two was a little bit redundant with one, but they're both good games. And I, uh, particularly the first one. But when I heard that they were doing multiplayer, I kind of want to be like, guys, don't worry about it. I'd rather you just make the single, focus on the single player. That's why I'm coming. Yeah, we like you the way you are. We already have our multiplayer games, you know? I mean, like I said, I'm going to be playing Gears of War 3 or, or Call of Duty or something. And, uh, Dead Space's multiplayer is never going to be able to make a dent in that, you know? That said, I think Assassin's Creed, and I never got particularly into it, but I thought they had a very interesting approach to multiplayer that was uh, really new and I had not seen before, where you were basically stalking, it wasn't uh, a deathmatch, you were basically stalking the other players in a crowd. Yeah, no, that was really, really cool, really, really interesting. And I, I, I didn't get into it, but, you know... Points for points for originality for sure. Yeah, a lot of these multiplayer games, you know, when the sort of games jump through hoops to get a multiplayer mode going, uh, it just seems, I think, a little complicated for people. Like Call of Duty and Halo and Gears are pretty simple. You you just shoot people, but some of these games like work so hard to come up with new modes that I think it's sort of uh, people just get intimidated by them. So I think those are the big ones coming out. I think those are the ones I'm really excited about that I suspect people will be talking about before the end of the year. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of awesome games. Yeah, there's a a lot going on. And someone just asked me, actually, uh, because I'm reading Game of Thrones, and they said, well, how do you have time to read this thousand-page book? And I said, books and movies are not a problem. It's keeping up with video games that is difficult. Mass Effect is like 30 Game of Thrones. Oh my god, yeah. And with games like that, if you get a couple weeks, like a break, I forget where I am, I forget what I'm doing, I'm out of the game. I mean, uh, Resident Evil Code Veronica, I believe, was the one where I like had to try it the third time starting from the beginning because I would just forget where I was if I didn't play it for a little bit. And you're just, you started it in 2004 and you're just ready to pick it up again now. <laughs> I would do it again. Actually, I did beat it. I beat that game. But there's a game called a Fatal Frame 2, which I would I want to recommend this game, Fatal Frame 2. I heard about you talk about it in your podcast. I thought it sounded interesting. It's one of the scariest games I've ever played. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. It's only it's on the Xbox and PS2, but if I know that the Xbox version plays on the 360 because that's where I've been playing it again. Um, really, really good game. And again, the graphics aren't perfect, but the game is so dark and atmospheric and sort of based on uh, uh, the creep factor that the, the graphics are actually not, they don't age that poorly. It's a really scary game and it's very unique. 
Kumail, where can people go to hear you talk more about video games? You can go to Nerdist.com, listen to my podcast, The Indoor Kids. Uh, We talk about video games uh, every week. Every Monday it comes out. Awesome. Uh, You know, Kumail, I remember, I think it was the first time I saw you do stand-up when you were still living in New York. I th- it, maybe it was the first time I saw you, but I remember at Ochi's Lounge in comics seeing you perform, and you were on stage talking about Shinobi, and you were being uh, about, I don't actually remember what, but you were ta- I, I do remember the game, you were talking about Shinobi, and I remember, uh, one, I was ver- thinking it was very funny, but two, just thinking, you can do that? You can, you can talk about video games on stage and be fun? I didn't know that was allowed, I thought there was a rule against it. And uh, you were doing it, and you are being very funny about it. So it's so exciting to listen to you do it for an hour every week. I'm loving the show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think the trick is just to be able to get people to sort of relate to what it is about video games that you find exciting and passionate, you know. And uh, Revenge of Shinobi, which is what that bit was about, if I had to pick one game that is my favorite game, uh, because of when it came out and you know how much I loved it, uh, Revenge of Shinobi for the Genesis is like my my game. Shinobi's a game that's kind of due for a remake, you know, a Shinobi H. I think they tried one on PlayStation Two. They did. They did do one, and it looked sort of like a Ninja Gaiden. I never played it, but I heard it wasn't very good. He had a long red ribbon, right? Yeah, he had a long. Yeah, red- I played that game. That was all right. Uh, again, Kumail, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. That is it for our 10th episode anniversary spectacular. Of course, I am half kidding, but this is something of a milestone for me. When I started the show, you know, two and a half months ago, I didn't know if it was something I was going to enjoy. I didn't know if other people would care. And I didn't want to just do one episode, decide I didn't like it, and give up. So in my head, and this is only in my head, I committed to doing 10 episodes. I figured I'd do 10, one a week, every week, to really get a sense of if I liked it. The exciting news is now that we have done 10 episodes, I am proud to report that I do like doing it, and the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show has just received a mental pickup through the end of the year, and honestly, it's hard for me to imagine not doing it well beyond that. Thank you to everyone that's left a good review on iTunes. I hate you if you haven't. I hate you, but you know what? Keep listening anyway, but... Probably the most exciting part of all this is I feel like I'm just starting to maybe get the hang of it. And there's some really exciting episodes, some really fun episodes I'm looking forward to coming up. For instance, in the coming weeks, we are going to have an episode with someone from ThemeParkReview.com and a roller coaster track designer. We are going to be talking about Native American cross-stitching. I'm just kidding. We're going to be talking about roller coasters. It's going to be awesome. Also going to be talking to the guys from EverythingIsTerrible.com. If you don't know Everything is Terrible, that's your homework. Go watch some of their videos. You will know when these episodes come out. If you follow my blog, that's on Tumblr. It's JeffRubinJeffRubin.com. My Twitter, that's at JeffRubinShow. I have a Facebook fan page. And I'm just so glad we're going to keep talking. Thanks again, everybody. <laughs>